computer. Okay. Hare Krishna, for those who are hearing this recording, uh, I forgot to turn it on just a couple of minutes ago, so we didn't miss much. But we are on now text 46 of the 30th chapter of the fourth canto. And I was reading this short passage in the purport where it says, similarly, Lord Brahma is also allowed to keep peace and harmony within this universe. He consequently pacified the sons of King Barhishman with good logic. And the point being that logic works best when people are receptive to it. And sometimes when people are very emotional, it's not so easy for them immediately to hear logic, to hear philosophy. It sometimes takes some, um, some rising to the mode of goodness, some, some distance, like in the Vedic culture after someone passes away, there's some distance between the time when uh, they're grieving and the time that we start explaining that they were the soul and not this body and things like that. So it's something to keep in mind because sometimes we can um, uh, a little callously, perhaps someone's going through a very difficult time and we say, "Eh, it's just your mind. It's nonsense. Just get over it, you know, whatever. And they may not be ready for that yet. uh, Although that may be. So in other words, we can quote Shastra and be absolutely right. But if we don't apply it at the right time, place and circumstance, it can be a little like we've always often said, um, operation successful and the patient died. So some thoughts uh, on this point? Hare Krishna Prabhu. Yes, Raghunanda Prabhu. Um, it, it, it's a common plus a piston. Um, uh, there seems to be always a thin line between uh, the, not only the situation that you are describing like in a grieving situation, but even in a uh, uh, a preaching situation or when we are having a, a reading discussion like this, that different, each one of us are going through different situations in our life and we, our emotions are driven by that. And then the, we are exposed to some spiritual knowledge mm-hmm. and we are not in a position. Go ahead. We are not in a position to process it or accept it at that moment. So what should be the proper steps in terms of uh, the thing that you are talking about, logical versus emotional? So you're talking about personally, how do we get more logical and less emotional? Is that that the question? All right, well, let me ask, let me turn that around. What, I I think we once had this discussion in the temple room. Um, What works for you to rise more to the mode of goodness and less caught up in the whirlwind of the mind. And that's not just to you, Raghunanda Prabhu, that's to anyone on the call. Mm-hmm. What works for you? To me, it is, uh, is listening to uh, Bhagavad Gita or Bhagavatam lectures, especially from my spiritual master okay. uh, and reading Bhagavatam. Okay. Others? Yes, Prabhu. I find that uh, I find that there are many factors which which act as impediments for me uh, in order for me to properly uh, analyze or receive the logic or spiritual knowledge appropriately. Uh, one being the time of the day. Mm. Uh, secondly, being my consciousness, um, my mindset at any time. Uh, another reason being. Uh, you know uh, what it is. What is it I'm trying to do? You know, you know, reading versus chanting versus 
maybe cooking versus preaching so i find it's a it's it's a many reasons but uh, really uh, it all comes down to consciousness i guess uh, at a high level you know if if i really am having a very stable consciousness i am able to understand get more out of the spiritual knowledge or any logic <coughs> interesting uh i can't find i can't find the verse right now but when you say the time of day there there's a verse in the 11th canto that says that there's 10 factors that um uh influence um what modes of material nature were influenced by and one of them is the time of day one of them is what we eat one of them is what we drink one of them is what we hear um Uh I think one is who we associate with I can't remember all of them there's 10 factors so that when you said that that immediately caught my attention thank you for that others others that you find helps you uh calm down one way to word it is to calm down and think more clearly Hare Krishna Prabhu ji Yes um being being absorbed in some service um like preparing for a talk or um learning to chant or sing bhajans like that um i felt that i forget other things that are going on okay thank you for that others i'm raising my hand <laughs> oh yeah okay yeah andy <laughs> no i just want to say that for me it's mainly chanting mm-hmm. if i have good chanting and this morning i had the best chanting i can ever remember really uh, Yeah because it takes me a long time like at least 20 minutes to do one round usually. Mm-hmm. And so I started about one or two minutes before 10 o'clock, right? And I was chanting and it was really intense and I felt like a lot of time had passed by and I and after I stopped chanting, I just kept meditating and I said, well, by, by now I probably missed like 10 or 15 minutes of the class. I better get out of this chanting, right? And I looked it was like 9 minutes after 10. <laughs> the time had completely disappeared. So for me, it's not the time of day, it's the order I do things. I have to do things in the right order and then I feel like things fall into place for me. That's how that's the best experience for me. Most of you have mentioned spiritual things. Of course, it can also be uh and I'm not suggesting that these are all great answers. Some for some people it's like taking a walk in nature, right? Or uh just getting enough rest. or taking prasad <laughs> but whatever it's good for us to know what works for us um to uh because the modes of passion and ignorance are dangerous actually for a spiritual minded person uh one who has the goal of uh attaining krishna's lotus feet so when we and, and it's 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 important for us to um first of all be cognizant of when the modes are are affecting us we you know we study the bhagavad gita chapter 14 chapter 17 chapter 18 about the different modes of material nature um because i think a lot of times we're not even conscious i right? just we're just like you know that example right that the uh, a fish doesn't know they're in water so if we're so like always in the modes of passion and ignorance we don't even like notice it it's like that's just life <laughs> but for uh it's one of but as we want since we want to make advancement in krishna consciousness it's really good to be quite aware of which modes of material nature are affecting us 
And if we, when we get indications that it's passion and ignorance, um, to do something about it, to not just let it fester. Yeah. Other thoughts on this? Okay. If not, then we'll go on to the next verse. Prabhu, before we proceed, can I share one thing? Yeah, of course. It is related to text 43. One sentence just caught my attention okay. where Sage Maitreya is saying, uh, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, who is the protector of surrendered souls. Um, there was one pastime that was connected to Parasarabhata, not the father of Vyasamuni, but who was the one of the Acharyas in the Sri Sampradaya line. So one hunter one day comes to him and he has a live rabbit in his hand. And the what is hand? Live rabbit. Oh. And then uh, uh, that rabbit is like basically quaking with fear. And uh, Parasarabhata looks at the hunter and says, what is this about? Uh, as you know, I'm a hunter and uh, I go in, in the morning into the forest and I uh, kill animals and get them. But this rabbit just approached me and fell at my feet and surrendered to me. I did not have the heart to kill it. Mm. So I took this rabbit and I do not know what to do with it. So I came to you. <laughs> just hearing that Parasarabhata faints in ecstasy. And it takes a while for him to come out of that. And then he says, okay, um, people ask him, why did you faint? Just this hunter's heart, when somebody surrenders, he couldn't. Uh, harm that uh, living being i was thinking of the supreme lord if any everybody surrenders to them how much he must be doing for that surrendered soul how oh, nice thank you beautiful beautiful welcome shakshi gopal Prabhu and others all right so thank you for that now 47 the remaining trees being very much afraid of the prachetas immediately delivered their daughter at the advice of lord brahma so I just thought this was important because, you know, our minds might think, what? The daughter, the trees have a daughter and they delivered them to Lord Brahma. So Prabhupada gives a explanation of this at the purport. He says, it was the predominating deity of the trees that delivered the daughter. In this connection, Srila Jiva Goswami Prabhupada states, Priksha Tad Abhishta Tri Devata. The, quote, trees means the controlling deity of those trees. In Vedic literatures, we find that there is a controlling deity of the water. Similarly, there is a controlling deity of the trees. So hopefully that may pacify some of us who said, what, the trees delivered a daughter? Uh, so I thought I would just highlight that as a, a, much, a clear explanation of what's going on. Anything about that before we move on? Uh Prabhu, I was under the understanding that the preceding deity of the water and the trees was Lord Varuna. Are they different or is this the same personality that is the preceding deity for both? That I don't know. I know Varuna is definitely the water. Uh, I've never heard of him as the presiding deity of the trees, but did you read that somewhere? I, 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 some, maybe I have to go and do some more research, but I recall hearing or reading something along, those, along that lines. Gotcha. Okay, no, I'm not sure. Okay, now finishing up this chapter. Following the order of uh, Lord Brahma, all the Prachetas accepted the girl as their wife. From the womb of this girl, the son of Lord Brahma named Daksha took birth. Daksha had to take birth from the womb of 
Marisa due to his disobeying and disrespecting Lord Mahadev. Consequently, he had to give up his body twice. Okay. His previous body had been destroyed, but he, the same Daksha, inspired by the Supreme Will, created all the desired living entities in the Chakshusha Manvantar. After being born, Daksha, by the super excellence of his bodily luster, covered all others' bodily opulence. Because he was very expert in performing fruitive activity, he was called by the name Daksha, which mean, meaning the very expert. Lord Brahma therefore engaged Daksha in the work of generating living entities and maintaining them. In due course of time, Daksha also engaged other prajapatis, progenitors, in the process of generation and maintenance. Thus end the Bhaktivedanta purports of the fourth canto, 30th chapter of the Srimad Bhagavatam, uh, entitled The Activities of the Prachiktas. Okay. John, I just muted you because there was some background noise. Okay. Uh, I feel like I'm a real controller here because I, I can mute people as I like because <laughs> of... Uh, because it's my um, Zoom. <laughs> so forgive me if I... Uh, I uh, Amy, Amy uh, and John, I both muted you at some time. But if you want to talk, just uh, you can unmute. Okay, so... Um, now the Prachetas got out of the sea, and they uh, were living at home. And then after some time, they, they placed their wife, in, their wife in the care of their son, Daksha, and went to the sea. And when they were at the sea, they met the sage Jajali, uh, um, and who told them to perform austerities and pranayama. And then Narada uh, Muni arrives, and he uh, gives them. Okay, uh, Jyoti, I just uh, muted you. Um, and that's basically this chapter. It's quite a short chapter. We'll see how far we get today. Maybe we'll finish. This is the last chapter of the canto. Can you believe it? So we're soon to start. Canto five. Okay, uh, so let us begin. And the first, so the first seven verses uh, discuss uh, the Prachetas renounce their kingdom and meet Narada Muni. And we are going to look at uh, verse number two. The great Saint Maitreya continued. After that, the Prachetas lived at home for thousands of years and developed perfect knowledge and spiritual consciousness. At last, they remembered the blessings of the Supreme Personality of Godhead and left home, putting their wife in the charge of a perfect son. Text 2. The Prachetas went to the seashore in the west, where the great liberated sage Jajali was residing. Jajali. Uh, after, after perfecting the spiritual knowledge by which one becomes equal toward all living entities, the Prachetas became perfect in Krishna consciousness. And Prabhupada writes that uh, when one actually becomes spiritually advanced, he does not see the difference between one living entity and another. This platform is attained by determination. So um, I thought that was important. So it's not, it's, we, okay, so first of all, we have to hear, right? And we hear and we hear and we hear and then we hear how one thing we hear is that um, all living entities are equal. Vidya vinaya sampane, 
Brahmane Gavihastini, Suni Chaiva Swapat Kecha, uh, Pandita Samadarshina, that, that the sage uh, sees everyone equally, even different species. This is pretty um, rare in a lot of faiths, uh, the idea that it's not just human beings that are equal, right? right? Like the American kind, we, we uh, hold these truths to be self-evident. Is that the De- Declaration of Independence, that all men are created equal? Uh, and then, of course, in animal form, it said, but some are more equal than others. <laughs> but really, it's not only all men or all women or all human beings. It's all living entities. Now, we read that and we hear about it. Um, but we, it may not be fully vigyan. It may not be fully uh, realized knowledge. Uh, so we have to do a few things, right? We have to apply it. Um, simple things like, um, you know, uh, not avoiding running over a squirrel on the, on the road or, or giving some, uh, prasadam to a living entity. You know, uh, one time a devotee saw a slug, you know, that, that fits, you know, uh, and Prabhupada, what should we do? There's a slug. And Prabhupada said, chant to the poor thing. <laughs> so just, there's different, practical things we can try to do to um, act on this knowledge. And it does take uh, determination and also a higher taste. In other words, it's one thing, I think we've all had this experience, it's one thing to theoretically understand something. And it's another thing to go go much deeper than the theory and realize it and understand it and apply it in in our lives. And that's really where the... uh, Rubber meets the road, so to speak. And so this is, of course, just one thing that we're asked to do amongst many things. And Prabhupada writes that this platform, this spiritually advanced platform of not seeing a difference between one living and the other, it takes determination. So I think in many things in Krishna consciousness, to understand them deeply, to go from jnana to vigyan, to go from just theoretical knowledge to really understanding it and applying it, um, it takes it takes some work on our behalf. Just like, for example, we hear that Krishna is the most beautiful, you know, person in creation, right? And we, you know, he, for most people, ornaments try to make them look better, right? People go spend tons of money at uh, Tiffany's or, you know, um, accessories and things like that. But Krishna, he makes the accessories look more beautiful. Right, uh, so we hear that theoretically, yet we are still sometimes attracted to the, you know, we, let's just use the word so-called beauty in the material world. So that means we haven't fully under, we haven't fully realized that yet. Krishna's beauty and how it surpasses everything in this world. So it's something that takes, as Prabhupada is saying, this purport determination to hear about Krishna's beauty, to to pray that we can get some glimpse of it, to to see. The, the deities and um, um, pray to the deities that we, that because it's really the beauty is revealed to us by Krishna. So I, I like that one sentence, or these two sentences, um, that it takes, to get to that platform, it takes that uh, dritta brata in Sanskrit, the firm determination. Some thoughts on that? I have a thought, Prabhu. Um, 
from what you have been sharing now about this point, um, it appears that when it comes to reality, we still start seeing the differences, but still we should make an attempt to see beyond those differences and see the common point, which is that we are all spirit souls and we are all part and parcels of the Supreme Lord. So that is the effort that is required from me to penetrate that those layers of differences and get to this stage of seeing everybody as equal. Mm. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it's, and this is where... It's 11 o'clock. Oops, sorry about that. This is where understanding the Shastra and it uh, comes in really, it's really important because... We're also told, for example, in Nectar of Instruction and also in the 11th Canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam that we, in our, on our level, we do see the differences. We, we, there's Krishna, then there is um, the, uh, the devotees, then there are the innocent people, then the envious people, right? And we're meant to behave differently to all four of those people, right? And we even make a distinction between Jiva Doya and Vaishnava Seva, right? They, they make, you know, the Vaishnavas we serve, Jiva Doya we give compassion to, we give mercy to. Um, and at the same time, we understand, of course, Krishna is a separate category than the other three, but they're all spirit souls, part and parcel of Krishna, even the envious. So it does uh, take understanding the full picture of the philosophy. But here, the, and, and Prabhupada will emphasize different things in his purports according to the, usually it's according to the context, uh, right, of, of what's being emphasized in that part of the Shastra, right? So here, the equal, the equality of all of the entities is being emphasized because that's what's mentioned in the uh, translation, in the, in the verse, right, uh, that uh, becomes equal to all, all living entities. What else? Other thoughts? Don't be afraid. We're so used to hearing from Suganda and Nandamuki and Rashmi and others. Uh, Yeah, certainly we hear a lot from Ananda Rupa. So Prabhu, I have a question. Yes? I quickly browsed through the purport of the first verse and okay. I'm trying to relate to the second verse and what we are talking about. <clears throat> so I wanted to go back a little bit on the first verse purport, if it's okay. All right, sure. Okay, so in the first verse of this chapter, uh, we, re- we read that uh, Prachetas left um, and their wife was in care of their uh, able son. Right. And then when they left, how they attained perfection with spiritual life and knowledge. And so when I read the purport, it also talks about that one should leave home. And I know I have question about this in the past in our Bhakti Vaibhav class. But since I happened to read more about it just now, so I thought it's relevant to discuss a little bit more about that. Uh, knowing that uh, Prahlad Maharaj uh, explained, we have a full chapter now on ideal grahastha life. And it's identified, you know, life of a Gramedi, life of a Grihastha. And ideally, since we are all in Grihastha life now, and, you know, we, we are making attempts to live 
in the best manner, Krishna conscious way possible, while we elevate ourselves from anarthas and all. And now here, uh, you know, obviously the pachetas are very elevated, and uh, <clears throat> so the purport for the first verse talks about a lot of things like staying at home. You know, is like uh, it will spoil one's development of Krishna consciousness and things like those. Can you kindly just uh, speak a little bit about this? Is Canto four right, and Canto seven is coming much later. Mm-hmm. And in Canto seven, you know, you don't have to really leave household life, but you can <laughs> it's, uh, well, work through it and uh, live in a Krishna conscious way. So I'm having little confusion here now. Well, it's it's the therefore we have to go to um, the essential point, right? To always, you know. Smartavya satatam vishnu vi smartavya najatu chit sarva vidi nisheda shur etayor eva kinkaram. That uh, the, the main uh, instruction is to always remember Krishna, never forget him. And all the other parts of Varnashram and this matter kinkaras are servants of that main principle. So, uh, as an example, just let's just take a modern day American example, since most of us, I think, on this call are living in America. Um, if a if a married couple can, um, they have a job. Hopefully, maybe well, hopefully, but let's say both of them have a jobs and they 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 save their money nicely and they get a good uh, pension and good social security. And after their children are grown and they don't have to. Uh, you know, take care of them. And a matter of fact, it's more like the children will take care of us, right? Then they can focus. Maybe they could even uh, forego uh, their gainful employment if if the pension and the uh, Social Security is sufficient and dedicate themselves to the service of the Lord. And uh, and certainly if that is the case, then the home is not an impediment, right? It's it's not uh, this undekupam, I think it's mentioned in this purport, that word? Yeah. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, the last paragraph, uh, the famous uh, verse that hit uh, um, uh, uh, it doesn't become that, that uh, soul killing place. It becomes a place of great Krishna consciousness, right? There's deities, they're being worshipped, the husband and wife are serving Krishna. Um, and, and so that's, that is, uh, well, that is following the essence. Uh, for at the same time, for some people, especially for non, you know, like the Dhritarashtras of the world, right? You know, getting out of that. Ju- if if you're just like, okay, now we maybe we're retired and we can spend more time with the grandkids and play a sh- uh, shuffleboard and you know chess and and you know do the crossword puzzles all day long. Um, that's you know the kind of thing that's being very much discouraged here. So we have to apply it. Now for some of us, um, maybe it is because, you know, because really, um, you know, after 50 and you're not going to have any more children, that almost is a a vanaprasta kind of life. Again, a modern day vanaprasta life. It's, you know, um, which is a little different than, than, you know, here probably talking about a culture where all of this was all, uh, um, uh, it was very easy to follow that that, that, that the the Gaivi Varnash on the system because it was pervasive, and people were all uh, there was all kind of support systems, 
in order to do that. So the basic principle is to, as we get older, to have more focus on, on the Lord and on devotional service. How that applies may be different um, for so many different reasons, right? So, um, and men, and so let's say we weren't able to save up and things like that. We may have to work longer. And, you know, there's, so, there's, so it's very much a very individual um, uh, situation. And, and the Vedic system is very much like that, that understanding that at different times in our life, um, we have different priorities. But we should remember that, and, and the point, really the essential point being made here is, like it says here, when the children are grown up, the man should leave home and search for Krishna consciousness. The key there is searching for Krishna consciousness. And in some places, Prabhupada encourages sannyas. In other places, he quotes Bhaktivinoda Thakur, says that sannyas is not necessary uh, if one is uh, serving the Lord with one's, uh, in, with one's family. So it's really a very individual kind of thing. And applying uh, the essence of... Uh, traditional life to the modern day. Does that help at all? Yes, Prabhu. Um, I mean, the way you have just explained it perfectly made sense. Um, because the mention was here that Prahlad Maharaj said, you know, in the purport last paragraph, first line says, giving up a comfortable home life is absolutely necessary for human beings and is advised by Prahlad Maharaj. Right. So when I read this, this actually raised some doubt in my mind with respect to, you know, otherwise there is a whole chapter right there, uh, living ideal householder's life. And here it's talking about giving up. But then well, I, I, I totally missed out the point that, you know, case by case basis, everybody lives a little differently. And but Balan Maharaj did also say, uh, under Kupam. <laughs> Yeah, so right. he did. He did also say that. So that, that was in a different chapter. <laughs> so it's it's. But but again, it's true that we shouldn't, you know, just try to live a comfortable life in our retirement, right? And just like oh, you know. But um, actually, comfort is is a, is an interesting word. But we we want to. We we should have a much more. Um, happy life because we can spend more time hearing about Krishna, chanting Krishna's name, serving deities, serving the mission. Uh, it's actually a happier life. And so there's not in other place, you know, that's why we have to look at the whole thing. Um, let me see if I, is the, uh, one second. The, I'm just thinking of the uh, preface to the nectar of devotion. I think it's the preface where Prabhupada writes, if I can find it. Uh, anyway, uh, maybe, a, I don't know if I'll find it easily. And I don't remember the reference where this is mentioned, like there are two kinds of preachers, Goshtanandi and... Uh, that was last week, I believe we covered that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So somewhere, I mean, that actually helped me to understand. Actually, so, so it is really how we want to serve. That is also there. You know, some are really good for traveling and serving, preaching. You know, some are good at serving, staying at one place. So, so really, it matters. It makes a big difference. We have to see what our priorities and situation in life is. Also. Exactly. 
Yes. So there is a mention that one should, even though their duties may not be finished, they should just leave. It is mentioned in this purport only, but I guess uh, you may have to really consider, be considerate what responsibilities we have. Yes, yes. Anyway, I can't find it real quickly, so I won't take up your time, but there is mention in the preface that one doesn't have to... Uh, is that it? Mm, no. Um... One can live a comfortable life and serve the Lord, is basically what he says. Oh, the nectar of devotion is not presented to condemn any way of materialistic life, but the attempt is to give information to religious philosophers, and people in general how to love Krishna. One may live without material discomfiture, but at the same time, he should learn the art of loving Krishna. Other thoughts on this point? Okay. Prabhu, I had a thought. Um, in both the instances, it looked to me like the principle of detachment is the same, but the degree of detachment, how it is implemented might vary. But yep. basically, if, if I am living in a, a household life as a householder, initially my thought would be like, oh, this is my family, this, this is my spouse, these are my children, and I have certain duties and responsibilities to them. But as I continue to advance in Krishna consciousness, I still care for them and do my duties, but there is not that principle of attachment of like uh, me and mine, but more a gradual detachment from that. So I can still live in a household life, but not have that attachment in the conception of me and mine. So, and then... It, 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 the degree of detachment that Prahlad Maharaj is talking about is like physically renouncing the family and then walking out the door. But we need not do, it's, it's a, as you said, it's up to each individual, but the principle of detachment remains the same. Right, exactly. And and so the, and the principle is Anashaktasya Vishayan Yartaham Upayunjita Nirvanda Krishna Sambandha Yuktam Vairagi Uchite that real Renunciation is seeing everything is connected to Krishna and then therefore doing things for his pleasure. And so the real renunciation is, is renouncing the enjoying spirit and transforming that into a mood of service and affection for Krishna. How that's applied, you know, will, and for some people, by the way, the application will be, yes, you should take sannyas. You should get out of this mess and, uh, and, you know, get on the sannyas list with Prahladananda Maharaj. And eventually takes sannyas, but that's you know different slopes for different folks. Andy, do you have your hand up? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just want to say that getting back to the kind of the starting point of how we got into this. Okay. Uh, one of the my pet peeves uh, about religions and other disciplines is this idea that people are better than other animals. I've never believed that. And uh, <clears throat> if you know, if you want to say that, okay, we have a, a different platform because we have this human brain and everything, that's fine. But as it was pointed out <clears throat> in, in one of the purports, you can be given a life of a million years, right? And if you never reach Krishna consciousness, you just wasted a million years, right? <laughs> so it's what you do in your mind. So if, if, if you walk into the forest and sit down and everything, but you haven't renounced in your mind, you haven't done anything. So it doesn't matter where you are. It has to be done internally anyway. That's right. Yes. And, right. So we, yes. And so this is, of course, something that Prabhupada would repeat a million times. 
that as human beings, we have that extra responsibility. We're not better. We're not different than other animals and things. We all spirit souls, pardon Russell Krishna. But because we have this body, we have this extra responsibility. Okay, let's move on then, unless others have a comment. I have a comment, Prabhu. Yes, sir, Narendra Prabhu. Yeah. So actually, obviously, I've not read all the Prabhupada books, but uh, within whatever I read, Prabhupada, um, within Srimabhatam, several places, the theme he gives is a similar theme, which is that uh, uh, when, when we get to age 50 or close to that, then... Um, wife should be given in uh, care of son and then leave the home and then Prabhupada also says in that context that instead of going to the forest like olden days but he says go to a pilgrimage place or uh, stay in a temple he uses different things in different places but essentially like something to go to Vrindavan, Mayapur like that he describes in most of the places and says that um, we need to do chanting and hearing more uh, by going there, that is how we should spend the rest of the life to become perfect Krishna conscious. Like that, I, I remember like that. I know your thoughts. Well, yes, uh, and it's interesting because we didn't get to see. I don't think we didn't see any. Exa- I don't think Prabhupada had. He had zero, maybe one. I don't know if he had any disciples over fifty when he before he left us. So we didn't see how that would practically be uh, be applied. Just like we, I don't believe there were any teenagers, children of devotees, uh, when Prabhupada um, was with us. So we didn't see how he would uh, uh, adjust things or deal practically with teenagers or with disciples who were uh, were over fifty. But you're right; the, the, he certainly would repeat the, the Vedic tradition of doing that. But like I said, he also quoted Bhaktivinoda Thakur, who said there's no need to leave the house. So at different places at different times, um, he, and even he himself, I don't think he left home right at 50. I think it was a little later than that. Um, but, but his point, I think one of the essential points is he would say that, um, he wrote that when you turn 50, he didn't use this. This is, I'm paraphrasing, but it's kind of Krishna tapping you on your shoulder that, uh, you know, death is not that far away, right? When you turn, uh, and, and so, uh, one should use one's life, um, practically. I don't know what he would say to a person who was, say, 60, but doing all kinds of service, but still, you know, um, maintaining a household. Uh, and also, the other thing, Sundarananda Prabhu, is that when Prabhupada was with us, almost everybody lived in the ashram. And now mm-hmm. almost everybody lives outside the ashram. So the so how to take that, that principle and then apply it to the time, the place, and the circumstance, that is uh um that is an interesting discussion. <laughs> sure. But you're right. You're absolutely right that uh that because he's because he's uh quoting the, the Shastra that that you know there's and I think I think we have uh, I, you know, Jayadwaita Swami in particular is very interested in this topic of the Vanaprastha uh, Ashram and what does it mean and how to apply it um, in uh, in ISKCON because, again, we didn't have really any Vanaprastas in Prabhupada's time, practically speaking, very few, if any. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for that, Sundar Nalipur. Other thoughts? Yes. 
Okay, then let us move on. Text three, and we're going on until text nine. After practicing the yoga asana for mystic yoga, the prachetas manage to control their life, air, mind, words, and external vision. Thus, by the pranayama process, they were completely relieved of material attachment. By remaining perpendicular, that means having a straight back, they could concentrate their minds on the uppermost Brahman. While they were practicing this pranayama, the great sage Narada, who is worshipped both by demons and by demigods, came to see them. And we could talk at another time about pranayama. Um, it doesn't directly have us focus on Krishna, but it can pacify the mind. And I know some devotees have found it effective to do some pranayama um, before chanting their rounds and that they find that it cools down their mind. But it's, again, it's not, it's not needed. The only thing that's needed is chanting Hare Krishna. Um, but it could be a kinkara, a servant of our principle of chanting Hare Krishna. Some have found it helpful. As soon as the prachetas saw that the great sage Narada had appeared, they immediately got up, even from uh, their asanas. As required, they immediately offered obeisances and worshipped him. And when they saw that Narada Muni was properly seated, they began to ask him questions. All the prachetas began to address the great sage Narada. O Brahmana, we hope you met with no disturbances while coming here. It is due to our great fortune that we are now able to see you. By the traveling of the sun, people are relieved from the fear of the darkness of night a fear brought about by thieves and rogues. Similarly, your traveling is like the sun's, for you drive away all kinds of fear. O Master, may we, be in, may we inform you that because of our being very overly attached to family affairs, we almost forgot the instructions we received from Lord Shiva and Lord Vishnu. Dear Master, kindly enlighten us in transcendental knowledge, which may act as a torchlight by which we may cross the dark nescience of material existence. Okay, so now from 8 to 14, uh, we hear kind of, Narada Muni's instructions are kind of in three different categories. And these first ones from 8 to 14 um, are about devotional service, the goal of all spiritual practices. So in 8, we hear the great sage uh, Maitreya continued, because Maitreya is telling the story to Vidura, right? My dear Vidura, being thus petitioned by the Prachetas, the Supreme Devotee, Narada, who is always absorbed in thoughts of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, began to reply. And the great sage Narada said, When a living entity uh, engages in the devotional service of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, who is the Supreme Controller, his birth, all his fruit of activities, his lifespan, his mind, and his words are all factually perfect. And Prabhupada writes, it does not matter whether one is born. Is this the one I wanted to read? Yes. Uh, if one is born poor or rich, black or white, there may be so many material distinctions for one who takes birth in human society, but everyone should engage in the Lord's devotional service. At the present moment, civilized nations have given up God consciousness for economic development. They are actually no longer interested in advancing in God consciousness. So uh, when I was reading that, um, I thought, uh, I heard this interview. Someone had interviewed uh, a person, and I'm not trying to make a political point here, uh, just a uh, point about economic development. 
instead of God consciousness. So someone had approached a Republican congressman or whatever, I think, no, I think it was a Fox News guy or something, and said, you know, what do you, do you think that, uh, you know, the president's um, uh, announcing a national emergency was, was too late, it was belated. And I found the, the, the um, reply very interesting. The, the person said, all I can say is, did you see how the stock market went shooting up after the announcement? <laughs> so again, you know, no concern, no, no talk about people who may have been infected or this, that. It was all about economic development. <laughs> and then I think that evening I read this and I said, yeah, that was, that was a good example, right, of how uh, the focus is on, you know, he didn't talk about the virus or anything. He said, did you see how the stock market, all I know is, he said, all I know is the stock market went crazy in a positive way after he made that announcement. So all about economic development. Um, and then Prabhupada says, they are actually no longer interested in advancing in God consciousness. Formerly, their forefathers were engaged in executing religious principles. Whether one is Hindu, Muslim, Buddhist, Jewish, or whatever, everyone has some religious institution. Real religion, however, means becoming God conscious. So any, uh, so nice point, you know, so here in some places, Prabhupada would be very, very broad-minded, right? He mentions all different religions or whatever, and everyone had some religious principles and they were following those. And he's pointing out that today it's much less, it's much less. Um, <clears throat> some thoughts on that? Yes, Prabhu. Um this basically puts it like economic development or God consciousness, which is a typical um, material consciousness that the modern society is indulging in. But God consciousness is not bereft of economic development. But no. unfortunately, <laughs> they just focus on economic development and shortchange themselves and not even for focused on God consciousness. And Economic development depends upon pleasing the Supreme Lord, who is the supreme controller and supreme proprietor of everything in this creation. And that principle is totally forgotten in that material consciousness. Right. Mind always thinks in that dual thing, either this or that, and it's a classic symptom of the material mind. Right. So that, that duality is uh, only really addressed fully when one is uh, God conscious, right? Because then there's no duality of economic development or no economic development. One uh, endeavors for economic development for Krishna's pleasure, right? And, and uh, especially if, you know, one following Daivi Varnashram, Vaishas, that was their focus, right? But it was connected. It was, there was that Krishna Sambandha, that, that connection which makes it, uh, which reconciles all of it. But, but there is, here, Prabhupada is bringing up a, uh, a dichotomy that if one is just absorbed in, in economic development and, and that society is going in, in that direction instead of uh, God-conscious. But if one is God-conscious, it doesn't mean that there won't be economic development, right? That's your point. Um, and certainly, for example, you know, to run a temple, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of my wife's work is, to, is in talks about the budget and things like that. And, how are we going to, you know, cover, paying for the new temple? And, and, and I don't know if she already did already, but, you know, talking to Divya Nanprabhu, 
about what are the you know book distribution um, goals for this year, and and it's also you know books don't aren't, don't just fly around for free, <laughs> right? So uh, it's that connection of everything to Krishna. Yeah. So thank you for that. That and that's the one thing that takes out that makes uh, frees us from the dualistic mindset. Other thoughts? Okay. Um, so now we're moving on to text 10 and then talking about text 11. A civilized human being has three kinds of births. The first birth is by a pure father and mother, and this birth is called birth by semen. The next birth takes place when one is initiated by the spiritual master, and this birth is called savitra. The third birth, called uh, yagnika, takes place when one is given the opportunity to worship Lord Vishnu. Despite the opportunity for attaining such births, even if one gets the lifespan of a demigod, this was uh, what Andy was saying, if one does not actually engage in the service of the Lord, everything is useless. Similarly, one's activities may be mundane or spiritual, but they are useless if they are not meant for satisfying the Lord. Text 11. Without devotional service, what is the meaning of severe austerities? The process of hearing, the power of speech, the power of mental speculation, elevated intelligence, strength, and the power of the senses. Um, so Prabhupada writes that there are many religious systems which where independence and austerities are greatly stressed. But at the end, no one understands Krishna, the supreme personality of Godhead. Oops, one second. Just, uh, muting Deborah, so that because we were hearing some noise, I don't mind Deborah. It's eleven thirty. Uh, okay. Um, so he's saying, what's the use? Of the, there's a verse like this, right? What's the use of such penances and austerities if Krishna is not pleased? And if one has actually approached the supreme personality of Godhead, he does not need to undergo severe austerities. <laughs> the supreme personality of Godhead is understood through the process of devotional service. So this is actually a really good example of understanding context in Prabhupada's writings, right? Because uh, here it's the point being that pleasing Krishna is our goal. And if austerities and tapasya can help us in pleasing Krishna, then that's, that's great. But if it's just for some other purpose or, or, or an end in, in and of itself, then uh, rather than pleasing Krishna, then what's the use of it, right? But, uh, but let's highlight what we just read. If we go back to the very first verse in this chapter, if I recall, and Prabhupada writes, unless one practices penances and austerities in his student life, he cannot understand the existence of God. So then you say, wait a second, that seems contradictory, <laughs> right? Um, but it's not if we, again, if we understand things in context, that was a context of, um, well, let me go back to it. I'm using my uh, computer, so it's back and forth. Um, in the context of, of Prabhupada's talking about the brahmachari life and, uh, how it, how important it is. And then, it, well, he, then he goes, actually, you know, he talks about, um, rehearse their life when they are growing, they should marry and uh, sometime at home, and then beget children. When the children are growing, the man should leave home and search for Krishna consciousness. In this way, he's talking about um, uh, the brahmachari life and how one is separated from, boys and girls are separated, 
and, and therefore one's mind is clear and things like that. So that can help. But again, that doesn't mean that just performing penances on austerity as a student uh, that you'll understand God. No, there has to be, you have to have knowledge of God, you have to have Krishna consciousness. So it's not a contradiction, but you have to kind of look at things. And when we read different things in Prabhupada's books that seem to contradict each other, we have to understand how to uh, reconcile them. So here, the, the point being that, again, from that verse that we quoted before, if we, Krishna is the goal, and whatever helps us to attain Krishna, we accept, including penances on austerities. And whatever uh, doesn't help us, including penances on austerities, we reject if those penances and austerities are done as an end to, in themselves. But, you know, I can remember, for example, uh, going out on Simkirtan when it was like minus five degrees and we could, we went out for like five minutes and then we had to rush back into the store to warm up for a little bit and then rush out again. And that was penances on austerities, but it was done clearly for, you know, for Krishna's pleasure to distribute his books. So that we, we embraced, but just to, you know, give up eating and sleeping just as means in and of themselves without trying to please Krishna through them. That's, you know, that, that can make the heart harder. So we, so Krishna has to be kept as the goal. So some thoughts on this? Yes, yes for one question too. That uh, many times the austerities and penances words are used together. Is there any difference between them? Uh, that's a good question. Does anyone have a, could someone do a Google search for those two words? Um, uh, in a, one of the uh, Oxford English Dictionary or some dictionary? Um, you're right. I'm glad you asked that question. Austerities and penances. Um, I don't want to speculate. So let's let's get a dictionary definition. Someone looking him up? I see Henry's typing away now. Let us wait for Henry because he's the supreme authority. <laughs> well, penance is punishment, like the penal system. You're punishing. So you're punishing your body. Specifically punishment. And what are us? There, Henry, you got it? You're on mute. Okay, go ahead. Sternness, austerity is sternness or severity of manner or attitude. Um, it, it's also extreme plainness and simplicity of style or appearance. And it's also conditions characterized by severity, sternness, and asceticism. Uh-huh. Severe, uh, severe, uh, uh-huh was a key word there. Okay. Asceticism. Right. So giving up sense pleasure. Right? In, 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 in ISKCON words, giving up desire for sense gratification. Rashmi, oh, she has written something here. Uh, both words are used to translate tapa in Sanskrit. She put, you put a question mark there, Rashmi, or you're making a statement? Yeah, I'm just uh, asking, like, isn't that the case that uh, both, of words, both words are used to translate tapa? Translate tapasya. Yeah, tapa or tapasya. Yeah. Okay, good. And then penance, you're saying, um, Andy, is is like a you're penalizing, and in this case, you're penalizing yourself, right? You could 
you could possibly enjoy austerity. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so like the Amish people dress very plainly in black and white, but they enjoy that. Right. <clears throat> right. And we have what are examples of people performing austerities in the Vedic literature um, or penance, um, but not for Krishna's pleasure? Hiranyakashipu is a good one, yes. Are you saying Juva Maharaj at first? At first. Yes, and then what did he, and then very good, Suganda, because, and then he chastised himself. Does anyone remember what he said about himself after doing that? What a fool yeah. first. I I had a diamond in my hand and I was looking for a broken piece broken of Broken glass, yeah, broken glass compared to a diamond, yeah. So, uh, other examples? How about that? Didn't that person perform austerities and, and got the benediction that anyone whose head that he touched would immediately be killed? Yeah, I think it's Banasura, yeah. But yeah, and then, then he was tricked into touching his own head. <laughs> Not very smart. Um, right, right. So does that, is this answer your question well enough that uh, penance? But, and, and, and Rashmi is bringing up the point that often... Uh, the word tapasya is the word in, uh, and does anyone know that? I, I, I always ask this question, I, but um, there is that famous verse, and it's even a very poetic verse that says, what's the use of austerities? If you remember Krishna, what's the use of austerities? If you forget Krishna, what's the use of, uh, kim va tapas kim or something like that is how it goes. Anyone know that verse? Suganda, you know that verse, right? I have heard it, but uh, not memorized it. No? Okay. If anyone finds it, uh, <laughs> let us know. I think if you, if maybe if you do a word search for tapas and kim, K-I-M, you might find, let me see if I can find it real quick. It's such a poetic verse also, and it's so directly, uh, let's see, kimba, no, that's not the one. No, let's see. Yes, I think I found it. Oh, yeah? Uh, let, let me paste it. It's from Narad Pancharatra. <laughs> and I'll paste the meaning as well. Aradito Yadis Haris Tapasakim. Yeah. Prabhupada quotes it often. Yeah. So you posted, you pasted it? Okay, let's find it. Thank you for finding it. If one is worshiping, so it, it's so here. The here the uh, Sanskrit is so nice. Aradito yadi haris tapasatata kim, naradito yadi haris tapasatata kim. Antarbah here yadi haris tapas tapasatata kim. Nantarbah here yadi haris tapasatata kim. If one is worshiping the Lord properly, what is the use of severe penances? And if one is not worshiping the Lord, what is the use of severe penances? If Sri Krishna is realized within and without everything that exists, what is the use of severe penances? And if Sri Krishna is not seen within and without everything, then what is the use of severe penances? <laughs> and then I found a conversation uh, where Prabhupada said, yeah, basically he's saying, let's see if there's a... Um, if so, Pradumna... Uh, oh, yes. So Prabhupada says, he is the highest yogi. 
those whose senses are always engaged in serving or satisfying Krishna, he is the greatest yogi. Finished, Prabhupada says. Finished, therefore controlling the senses means, here's a nice conclusion, therefore controlling the senses means to engage them in the transcendental service of the Lord. And then Prabhupada quotes this, if you cannot approach the supreme personality of Godhead, then what is the value of your tapasya? And if somehow or other, if you approach Krishna, there is no more necessity of tapasya. You have already got all the results of tapasya. I think that's a really nice conclusion. The result of the tapasya is Krishna. Thank you for finding that, Sudanda. This is kind of cool because we all are on computers, and if we have database, we can all be like, uh, competing for finding stuff. <laughs> yeah, Prabhu, in the dictionary meaning that penances, it yes. seems to talk about something like atonement. Uh, it says voluntary self-punishment inflicted as an outward expression of repentance for having done wrong. Mm. So that, thank you for that, Sundarana. So that brings us back to the first verse of the uh, Nectar of Instruction, right? And yeah. Prabhupada's uh, distinction between prayaschitta uh, uh, and, and uh, bhakti. And that prayaschitta is you commit some sinful activity, so then you do this or that, yagna or austerity, or whatever to over to compensate for that reaction that you're going to get for that bad thing you did, whereas devotional service cuts at the at the desire to perform that bad activity, and therefore one you know it, it, it's it's getting at the root. It's kind of the difference between you know mowing the lawn and cutting down a weed and actually going in and taking the the weed out by the root. Thank you for that. Yeah, welcome. Thank you. Okay, so we let me. Um, I have to go back to my computer now and find the verse that we're on. Okay, so that was uh, verse eleven, and then verse. We're going up to fourteen now. Uh, that's where eleven, right? Transcendental practices uh, that do not ultimately help one realize the supreme personality of Godhead are useless. For their, uh, be they mystic yoga, did we read this just now? Anyway, uh, be they mystic yoga practices, the analytical study of matter, so that probably would be um, uh, Sankhya, right? Severe austerities, what's the word there in uh, this? But maybe Prabhupada's adding that, okay. Uh, the, pen, the acceptance of sannyas or the study of Vedic literature. All these may be very important aspects of spiritual advancement, but unless one understands the Supreme Personality of God in Hari, all these processes are useless. So we could have read that first instead of having the conversation we just had. <laughs> but it's the same point, right? Reiterate it again. Factually, the next verse, the Supreme Personality of God is the original source of all self-realization. Consequently, the goal of all auspicious activities, karma, gyan, yoga, and bhakti, is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And then this is, uh, I, I highlighted this because this is one of the most famous verses. If you wanted to memorize a verse, this is one that Prabhupada would quote many times. As pouring water on the root of a tree energizes the trunk, branches, twigs, and everything else, and as supplying food to the stomach enlivens the senses and limbs of the body, simply worshiping the Supreme Personality of Godhead through devotional service automatically satisfies the demigods. Who are parts 
<coughs> of that Supreme Personality. And Prabhupada writes in the beginning of the purport, sometimes people ask why this Krishna conscious movement simply advocates worship of Krishna to the exclusion of the demigods. The answer is given in this verse. And then a little further on, the fact is, however, that although karma and gyan cannot be successful without bhakti, bhakti does not require the help of karma and gyan. You got that? That's an important point. Actually, as described by Srila Rupa Goswami, anyabhilashita shunyam jnana karmadhyanabritam. Pure devotional service should not be contaminated by the touch of karma and gyan. Modern society is involved in various types of philosophical works, humanitarian works, and so on, but people do not know that these activities will never be successful unless Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, is brought into the center. And then at the end of the purport, Prabhupada says the conclusion is that by serving Krishna, Krishna Seva, everything is complete. As confirmed in Chaitanya Charitamrita, Krishna Bhakti Hoilo Sharva Karma Kritahaya. If one is engaged in the devotional service of the Lord, the Supreme Personality of God, and everything is automatically accomplished. So this, this is an important verse, um, and it leads also to practical actions. Like we don't want to just distribute food to the hungry. We want to, we want to distribute prashadam, right? Um, and we want to accompany often even prashadam distribution with the chanting of the holy names. You know, connect everything to devotional service. Um, otherwise, you know, although people want to do well, they want to do humanitarian activities, um, we miss the point if we don't connect it to Krishna. Otherwise, it's just like, you know, um, going. you could imagine going up to each to a tree and just putting water on the leaves and on the branches and not putting water on the root. Right? This is a simple thing that Prabhupada would talk a lot about, or food to the stomach. Um, and it's, it's a very, very important concept because it really impacts the way we live our lives, right? And, and what it means to be compassionate and what it means to help others. And I, I, I know I've told you before that in the, early in the 70s in New York sometimes and other places we would do a, a street drama Right where the person would be, the devotee would be dressed in a jacket and would be making believe he, he'd be on the asphalt and you know I'm drowning, I'm drowning, I'm drowning, and you know a, a, a crowd would circle. What are you, this guy's going nuts, right? He's he's on the asphalt and he's drowning. And then another devotee comes in, I'll save you, and he takes off his coat, and he only saves. He says, "Yes, I saved you," but he only saved his coat, and the other person dies drowning. Right, so. Um, so you get the point. Some thoughts on this? And then, oh, by the way, and then the philosophical point is made that to be successful in karma and gyan, one needs some bhakti. But to be successful in bhakti, one doesn't need karma and gyan. Some thoughts? Hare Krishna Prabhuji. Yes. Like uh, Prabhupada gives an example of fish out of water. So like we are fish out of water and you can give us everything materially, but we won't be satisfied until we go back into water. Very good. And such a nice, simple example. Yeah. But you know what I found? I think I've told you stories about this, but what I found is that we may be so used to those, you know, we may have heard the fish out of water example a thousand times, but 
we, it's good to remember that people that are first coming in contact with Prabhupada's teachings, they haven't heard that before. And for them, it can be a huge realization. Wow, yeah, I'm like a fish out of water. And, uh, you know, you can give a fish, you know, a great meal and you can give him a Mercedes Benz and he won't, the only thing he wants to do is get back in the water. And some people say, wow, that makes so much sense. The only thing that's going to make me happy is connecting with Krishna. It'd be a huge revelation. Krishna Prabhu, I have a question. Yes, Ashmi. So, um, I mean, even at the beginning, like uh, we were talking about how to, how to uh, advance in the mode of goodness, go to like go towards the mode of goodness. And here also we see Narad Muni saying that you know what is the use of tapasya if we are properly worshiping the supreme personality of Godhead. So, um, so I'm again having a conflict that. Um, like, should we should we even try to um, get to the mode of goodness? Like, just now also you said that karma and jnana are not required for bhakti. So, should I mean like, shouldn't we like, shouldn't the goal only be to chant Hare Krishna nicely and uh, uh, do our deity worship and kirtan and all of these like? Uh, what is the use of trying to advance in mode of goodness and uh, yeah, anything else? What is the use of tapasya and austerity? <laughs> well, sorry for it, <laughs> great question. Uh, it a lot of it depends on what we how we define the question, what we mean by the mode of goodness. So, for example, yes, all we need to do is chant Hare Krishna, but then should our room be filthy and there's like you know. Uh, a pizza that we bought last week at the bake sale that's still, the crust is still on the ground. And, uh, you know, our clothes are all over the place. And, uh, you know, uh, you know what I mean? And, and we haven't cleaned out a refrigerator in five months and there's stale this. And I'll, no, right? We, you know, <laughs> that will, that is going to, uh, um, uh, one, actually, one time, Buri Jampabu asked Prabhupada this very early, 1968, I believe it was. And uh, Buri Jampabu said, Prabhupada, you talked a lot about the mode of goodness, but aren't devotees transcendental? Prabhupada just looked at them and said, yes, and they generally act in the mode of goodness. So if we, if we uh, consider the mode of goodness, like in the 18th chapter, the qualities of a Brahmin, truthful, clean, controlling the mind, controlling the senses, right? So you could say the four regulated principles are not transcendental. They're part of the you know, rising to the mode of goodness. So uh, we have, our, or, or if we look at the second chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, where Prabhupada makes the distinction uh, between the two swadharmas, constitutional and conditional. So, our, so the constitutional, yes, chanting Hare Krishna, engaging in devotional service, and then the conditional, how we deal with other people, keeping clean, um, right? All those kind of things. So, it, you know, we should, for example, we should never be ashamed if someone says, uh, uh, oh, can you give me a ride to the temple? That we have to go clean our car. Our car should always be clean. Henry gives me a ride often to different places and his car is always spotless, right? It's always in the mode of goodness. So we definitely want to um, avoid the modes of passion and ignorance in our life, and that has a lot to do with, uh, again, cleanliness, our interaction with others, our um, 
uh, the kind of food that we eat, even the kind of prashadam that we eat, you know, to some extent. Um, and getting in uh, the right amount of sleep, not too much, not too little. Krishna talks about this in the sixth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, right? Uh, that uh, one should not eat too much, not eat too little, not, you know, or one should be temperate in the habits of eating, sleeping, working, and, re- and recreation. So does that make sense, Rashmi? Does that, does that, or were you thinking something else? Yes, trouble. Yes, trouble. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, if it is if so, it helping our, yeah, it, it aids yeah, our, if it's helping our devotional service, then, then or, it is also or, devotional service. Yes, or another way to look at it is when we, and let me use air quotes, so when we fall down, which we're not talking here about, you know, going and having a beer, but when we are not remembering Krishna, then when we fall, we should fall to the mode of goodness. The mode of goodness is, you know, if you think of like the, now now so many of them have closed down, but in the circuses, they would have a net just in case those people on the flying trapeze didn't uh, didn't make it right. So they they wouldn't die. They would be caught by the net. So the mode of goodness is kind of like a net that catches us from falling further down into passion and ignorance, because it's it's very hard to springboard from passion and ignorance to Krishna consciousness. The springboard is usually from the mode of goodness. That's very helpful, Prabhuja. Thank you so much. And I was trying to find it. If I find it, I'll send it out. Uh, uh Pu wrote a uh, very nice article years ago for Gurukul teachers, but it applies very much to us. It's called Elevation to Goodness. And I think it's the, the thing that kind of got him to write that was that exchange he had with Prabhupada in, in the 1960s. Yeah. Other thoughts on this, on the mode of goodness or, um, the, you know, the relationship of karma, gyan, and bhakti? So, so if I could just add a point. If you think about it, an intellectual pursuit needs to have an outcome. And uh, so a per- some people have to be trained to learn how to play the piano. And so that's the intellectual learning of music theory and so forth. But if they don't sit down and play the piano, it's of no use. And on the other hand, others can just sit down. Beethoven could sit down and play the piano immediately without all of the intellectual training. So bhakti is the outcome and is the is the is the you know the, the playing of the piano in this case versus the gan or the gadana is the intellectual pursuit in order to learn a process of how to put the mind in the proper framework in order to conduct bhakti. Very nice. Thank you, John. Yeah, great. Very good explanation. Bhakti, I like that. I like that. Bhakti is the playing of the piano. <laughs> Excellent. So let's see. We're at uh, text 14. Uh, well, let's just read. Let, we have a few minutes left. Um, I, I didn't highlight anything from this next section, but the next three verses um, are Narada's second instruction, which is that everything emanates from Krishna. And he is worthy of all worship. The reason I didn't is we spent a lot of time talking about this in the past, uh, a chincha beta beta tattva, um, simultaneously inconceivably one and different that everything emanates from Krishna, but it's not Krishna the person like that. But let's read this because it's very, very poetic. Um, this first, um, verse during the rainy season, water is generated from the sun. And in due course of time during the summer season, the very same water is again absorbed by the sun. Similarly, all living entities moving and inert are generated from the earth, and again after some time, they all return to the earth as dust. 
Similarly, everything emanates from the Supreme Personality of Godhead, and in due course of time, everything emanates and uh, everything enters into him again. Just as the sunshine is not different from the sun, the cosmic manifestation is also non-different from the Supreme Personality of Godhead. The Supreme Personality of Godhead is therefore all-pervasive within this material creation. When the senses are active, they appear to be part and parcel of the body, and when the body is asleep, their activity are unmanifest. Similarly, the whole cosmic creation appears different and yet non-different from the Supreme Person. So we did talk about that at length, and it, it, it would take quite a conversation to get into it. But, you know, the sunshine is not different from the sun, but it's also different than the sun, right? <laughs> you know, the sunshine is not the sun. It's the shine that comes from it. If the sun was in our window, of course, today is, at least where I am, is still overcast. Uh, if the sunshine is in my room, then I'm very happy. If the sun was in my room, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> um, well, I will read this. This is just because Prabhupada, in the, uh, very nice, he says, as confirmed in Ishopanishad, Ishavashaidam Sarvam, the proprietor of a house may live in one room of the house, but the entire house belongs to him. A king may live in a room in Buckingham Palace, but the entire palace is considered his property. It is not necessary for the king to live in every room of that palace for it to be his. He may be physically absent from the rooms, but still the entire palace is understood to be his royal domicile. Very interesting. He even brings in Buckingham Palace. And let's read this one last verse. My dear kings, sometimes in the sky there are clouds, sometimes there is darkness, and sometimes there is illumination. The appearance of all these take place consecutively. Similarly, in the supreme absolute, the modes of passion, darkness, and goodness appear as consecutive energies. Sometimes they appear, and sometimes they disappear. So we will uh, finish this chapter and this canto next week. I'm sure it will be virtual. And just a reminder that uh, Raghunandan Prabhu, if you saw the email uh, that was sent out had uh, from the temple, had suggested we all maybe pick up our beads at noon and do like a japa session uh, from noon to 1230 like they do at the temple. And uh, for all of you interested, at 1 o'clock on this it's same, on this same uh, Zoom, there will be a question and answer. So anything you ever wanted to ask uh, about anything, um, we'll have a question and answer session from 1 to 2 as our Sunday open house class. And the temple president just walked in. Does she want to say anything to you all? Nope, she doesn't. She just uh, was happy that I sent out that reminder. So thank you very much, Prabhuvas. It was really good connecting with you. So many joined this today. So that's really inspiring. And uh, we'll see you soon in cyberspace. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Thank you, Prabhuji. Thank you, Prabhu. Thank you, Prabhu. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna.